Hello everyone, welcome to Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and we have with us Dr. Laura Petracek. So Laura, I thought today we'd talk about the fifth step. What is the fifth step in the 12-step program? The, the fifth step, Fergal, is we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. That is absolutely petrifying. Mm. God, yeah, it's uh, not for the faint of heart. God, ourselves, and another. I mean, I think of, of all of those three, the admitting admitting your, your wrongs to someone else is probably the easiest. Is that there must be a process moving on from the fourth step where we really uh, are collecting the inventory of our wrongs to actually then telling someone. What is what is what does admitting our wrongs to God mean? What what does that look like? What does it mean? What can it mean? I'd like to just go back a minute. So actually, uh, usually admitting we're wrong to someone else is the scariest proposition. Is it? All right. Because okay. admitting we're wrong to God, I mean, you know, God's just there, whatever, not saying much, not really saying anything. Right. We don't see the reflection. We don't see the response, the reaction to what we're sharing. But to me, it really takes courage to admit our wrongs to another human being because that's the scary thing, right? Are they going to accept us for who we are? Are they going to think we're a piece of, you know, what? Are they going to judge us? Um, so that's really, that's a lot of the fears that people experience before they bear their soul to someone. You know, am I lovable after hearing all this crap that I did. So really the choice of that individual is very important, isn't it? Usually it's someone's sponsor, but it could be someone in the clergy. It could be some random stranger. It because the whole of the whole of the fifth step really does remind me of the confessional. It it is a confessional process where you do actually go into a little room. Well, having grown up Catholic, it is very similar to mm. uh, the confessional. And coming from Belfast, I take it you have your own mm. religious upbringing there. So it does have those overtones. I mean, the 12 steps in general are Christian-based. And so it's not uh, unusual that it has that flavor of making confession or, or um, confessing our sins and then, you know, when we were growing up, we'd say, okay, let me see, uh, three times for lying, five times for stealing. We just make it up. But this time, now as an adult and someone in recovery, you know, you're not just making uh, stuff up. You, you're really going through what you did in your first, what you wrote in your fourth step, and now getting it in the fifth step. And one good thing, another thing about admitting it to, why it's scarier, but also positive to admit our faults to another human being is that a lot of times your sponsor will say, wow, I did that too. Or I had that problem too. Or wow, you think that's bad. Guess what I did. Mm. So that's another plus to. Yeah. yeah. And that's not something that a, a priest would do in a confessional. Let's, let's remember that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least you hope not. <laughs> 
So, I mean, let's talk about admitting admitting our wrongs to ourselves. There's a lot of introspection in that, isn't there? I mean, it does lead on from the fourth, but to admit to ourselves means we have to recognize really all of the all of the cognitive distortions that we've been using to protect ourselves and get through the day. Right. Well, yes, doing our introspection, we're looking, we, we have to get past our rationalizations of what we did, our minimizing of what I did, of what we did, our excuses for what we did, blaming the other person for what we did. And those are hard defenses to get past because as human beings, we, uh, we're not really good at taking responsibility for our behavior accountability. We're like, well, she did this or he did that, or you would too if you were in my shoes. And so it makes it much more difficult. And I suppose really that's the key word that you said there, Laura, isn't it? It's accountability. We are taking accountability for our actions to ourselves. We are acknowledging our wrongs, our guilt almost. Yes, we are acknowledging our wrongs, our guilt, and mm. uh, where we've fallen short. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the process then does actually open the door to forgiveness, redemption, doesn't it? It's not, it's not all, it's not all self-abasement. It's not all self-flagellation, mm-hmm. is it? No, and it's not meant to be, uh, you know, mea culpa, beating yourself up. It, mm. It's meant to really kind of have a, um, be even-handed with our mm. inventory of ourselves. I mean, rarely is a person totally on the debit side or on the positive side. And more mm. and more often now, I hear sponsors telling their sponsees, don't forget to put the positives down about yourself because yeah, this fist step is really quite a beating and, you mm. know, to end up crawling on the floor is, is not the goal, but it's yeah. more to get right sized. Okay. This mm. I did was not so great, but Hey, I have these positive qualities yeah. and a way of balancing them out. Now, again, you know, most alcoholics and addicts, we definitely have wreckage of our past long behind us. So the first, fourth, and fifth step are probably going to be more on the debit side. But yeah. even so, we can look at or be reminded of our positive sides so we don't totally leave with a sense of extreme self-loathing. Yeah, yeah. So, again, we we see in the fifth step the word God. Now, I mean, this this leads us to uh, the idea of well, what is uh, an individual's higher power? I mean, is it a is it a personal uh, issue or is it a is it a universal issue? And does it matter really? Well, it doesn't really matter what one decides who their higher power is, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, someone's conception of their higher power changes throughout the years. Mm. Uh, How would that so be? Um, well, sometimes when people come in, they come from a religious background. So it's not unusual to have a Christian type of God or uh, some other type of religion. Mm. But as time goes on, I've seen people kind of soften in that area, meaning 
they don't necessarily believe in the God of their childhood, but now have a more uh, adult understanding and not a God that is uh, mean and menacing and unforgiving, uh, but more uh, loving and caring and understanding sort of higher power. Yeah. Yeah. So it's moving perhaps away from organized religion that 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 uh, taught you uh, as a child to developing your own sense of inner spirit- spirituality. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you use the word softening. I like that word because I think it's really important to consider that in the fifth step. And you've already alluded to it. You know, this is not about uh, mea culpa. This is about having a balanced view whilst being honest. So the, the, the message does have to be softened to a certain extent, does it not? Well, it doesn't have to be, but it certainly helps. Again, a lot of people come in the program totally feeling demoralized. Um, you know, their self-esteem is six feet under. I mean, they really uh, feel really bad about themselves. So I don't think the intent of the fifth step is to feel worse. Although when it's first laid out, the way it's structured, it looks that way because they don't ask any questions about what's positive about you. Though that type of inventory has been added probably the last 20 years or so. Like what's good about you? What do you like about yourself? What do other people like about you? You know? And I suppose this also speaks to the the need for a supportive community because this whole process doesn't actually happen in isolation. It's not just you beating yourself up. You know, it's in the context of a process. It's also in the context of a support system. Uh, and that other person is perhaps your sponsor, but, you know, there's more than one individual that you can draw support from, surely. Right. Like when a, uh, I go to a Wednesday night meeting, it's a step meeting. And actually last night we read the fifth step and then – you talk about it, and it's really helpful and healing to hear other people uh, talk about their sordid past, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm so bad. Um, and it's also very supportive after the meeting when people usually stick around and talk and share. And so there's healing in a group setting. There's mutual aid there, whereas if it's just you and one other person, yes, healing could happen, but... Uh, there's much more, I think, positive regard for people in a group and unconditional regard. And yes, that's really yeah. uh, supportive and healing. Yeah, I've heard that phrase before, this concept of unconditional regard as a key feature of you know peer support groups. And that, that I suppose that's so necessary that um, you know when, when people are entering into the peer support process, they are vulnerable, they are fearful, and they are perhaps full of self-loathing and, and low self-esteem. And so that's really one of the key the key ingredients, isn't it? Without that, really, you don't have any kind of peer support. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, another way that I think about the, the fifth step is really it's taking away from the, the, the pejorative, bitter self-flagellation that some people might associate it with, with, the, with the 12 steps is really, it's a realignment of one's moral compass to a certain extent. You know, and I, I like that analogy because it takes out the emotion. It's just, you know, a slight shift. 
you know, the compass itself isn't wrong or flawed. It's just we're just going to turn the, the we're going to turn the dials just a little bit to get back on track. That's how I that's how I've heard it described elsewhere. Right. Part of it is to get back on track, but for some of us, because of the dysfunctional family that we grew up in. We never really had a track or moral compass to begin with, or we weren't taught one. So part of it is also learning about a moral compass or learning uh, the next right step or right living. Because, again, some people in the families they grew up in uh, didn't have that. So going through this, going through the fourth step, setting up the moral inventory, talking about and contemplating the fifth step. It's a very challenging time for someone. I mean, can you talk about how, how challenging it is and how you overcome the, the fear of doing it and how maybe techniques to minimize emotional dysregulation might help you in this process? Right. Well, there's a few tools that one could use. One is uh, reading meditation books. Another is actually doing meditation, even mm. if it's only 10 or 15 minutes a day to help get you centered. Mm. Another is talking with other people, with your sponsor, about the fear you're going through with this process. Another tool I really like and use is journaling, just to get that fear out on paper. And it seems to take the power out of it. It lessens that uh, fear energy. So those are some of the suggestions or ideas I have. So really it's about using techniques to help you come face to face with this idea and then having a supportive environment, a supportive group, and also mm -hmm. supportive sponsors. So it goes back to, I suppose, the sponsor, doesn't it? The quality of the sponsor and the, the relationship between, and as you say, the sponsee and the sponsor. Yes, that's really key. I mean, it's analogous to what's the number one factor for healing and therapy is the positive relationship between the therapist and client. It's very similar between a sponsor and a sponsee. The relationship between the two of them uh, is the number one factor of whether or not it will be helpful to the sponsee in healing for them. So that... I mean, you know, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, and I think half of me thought, well, don't ask the question. But, you know, is there a training course that you have to go through to become a sponsor? And I suppose really, actually, you've just got to go through the 12 steps, isn't it? Because everyone that, who is a sponsor has been through the same process that you're, that you're going through. Yes. No, there's not a training program, yeah. although I think it would be helpful, just like I think it'd be helpful for parents-to-be to have to go through a training program. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not the case either. So, uh, We're not talking about the university of life here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're, uh, but as a parent or a sponsor, you're in a very um, uh, important role, a very powerful role. Yeah. And that's why I think not, it's not just the university of life. It's teaching people who are in a position of power or even, you know, therapists go through years of training of how that might impact a client or, you know, because unfortunately I've seen sponsor sponsorships go real bad. Just why, why might they do that? 
Because, you know, the, the fifth step and the fourth step are really dependent on sponsors, aren't they? It's important to understand why it works and why it doesn't work. Well, I think sometimes people take on being a sponsor too soon. Like I've seen in the rooms, people have three months of sobriety and, oh, I'm, I could be a, your uh, temporary or regular sponsor. Well, three months sobriety, you're rarely, you know, finished detoxing. So I don't really think you're in right. a good position to be a sponsor or they have another, uh, there's a term, I don't know if you've heard of it called 13 stepping where, um, uh, it's usually, uh, male, female. Um, so the man's a sponsor and the woman's a sponsee and then things, you know, take away different turn romantically or sexually. Yeah. And that's not really helpful for someone, a woman who is newly sober. No, no. So it is a, it is a responsibility. Um, it is a responsibility. It and needs you to need be taken to, seriously. Yeah. And you need to keep your motives in check. Yeah. Like what's yeah. really, what's my motive here? Is it, if it's not only to be helpful, like I know some sponsors, I think this is just terrible, but I mean, I have, I know some sponsors that have people clean their house for them, do their taxes for them. I mean, they abuse that power and it really unnerves me. Yeah. So really the only motivation, the only motivation that, that really should be driving a sponsor within this context is really is is a desire to achieve and maintain and teach sobriety and recovery, isn't it? Yes. The, the sobriety that, and recovery are the two motivation. They're the pure exactly. It's the purest motivation, and really, unless you've got that, and unless it's demonstrated, then really, sponsees should run a mile. That's what I'm hearing. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. 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 Well, can you tell us a little bit about your experiences going through the the fifth step and how how what kind of supports that you got when you were going through that? Well, my first fifth step, well, my first fourth and fifth step, I was in college, so I did it like a thesis. I had like fifty pages written. My sponsor's like, "This is going to take us weeks," but that's how I approached things or did approach things at that time, and. You know, she was very um, comforting and uh, kind of walked me, shared with me some of her own experience. But also another person who really helped me was my own therapist, you know, because she knew a lot more than my sponsor did about my own background. And so that was really helpful. My therapist giving me unconditional positive regard and compassion. And like, how would you have known better growing up how you did to do, to not do X, Y, or Z? You know, you grew up with people lying, stealing, drug dealing. They're all alcoholics. What, how would you know otherwise? So that was really helpful to me. Whereas my sponsor, she, she knew more of my drinking and drugging, but not my whole family of origin story. And so I also recommend to people to my own sponsees or people who are in recovery that are in the rooms to also talk to their therapist about it. And if they don't have one, maybe a good idea to get one because a sponsor isn't really trained uh, professionally. And in a sense, they're in a professional role though. I mean, granted it's yeah. a, a peer 
uh, role, but it's a very powerful role. Mm. And so that's where I feel having um, a therapist is really helpful. And um, it also helps to, and so when you're doing your fourth and fifth step, it helps to, to have a deadline. Okay. So you have to be done with your fourth step let's say October 30th, because you're doing your fifth step, November 2nd. And so having yeah. that deadline is kind of like school. This is when your papers do, and this is when you're going to present your paper, present the fifth step. And that's really helpful because otherwise I've uh, known people who have spent months on the fourth step and I'm like, Oh, this that's torturing yourself. Just mm-hmm. set a date with your sponsor and then you won't be going through this, uh, unnecessary, mm. this unnecessary suffering. Yeah. So what I'm hearing then is just really the importance of experience and boundaries and a commitment to the purest of motivations. Uh, and, and really that relationship between a sponsee and a sponsor is, is absolutely crucial really to progression through the steps. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, Laura, we've unfortunately run out of time. Um, but thanks again for your pearls of wisdom. I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. So thank you. Okay, folks, that's all for today. Uh, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction. <laughs>